0: Before we begin, a disclaimer, this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for any investment decision. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any security. The securities discussed on this podcast may be owned by persons being interviewed. Before making any investment decision, please consult an investment advisor. All right. Hello, everyone. Before getting into this, uh, just want to give some background. It's been a while since I dropped a podcast. And the reason why I'm doing this today is that in early April, I recorded a conversation about Align Technology on the Business Breakdowns podcast, which is produced by Colossus. I'm sure all of you listen to Patrick O'Shaughnessy's Invest Like the Best. He has another spinoff series called Business Breakdowns, which is really good. And if you like my stuff, you will definitely like Business Breakdown, so you should sp- subscribe to that. So we recorded, and I frankly didn't do a great job on it. Um, the interview was messy. They found someone else who's more qualified to talk about this industry, and they mercy-killed my recording. So so yeah, I mean, podcasts, it, it's just never really been my forte. But look, I had some notes that I had worked on for, for that podcast, and I thought rather than have this all go to waste, why don't I just record on my own boutique podcast channel? So that is what I am doing here. So Align Technology is the company behind the Invisalign brand of clear aligners. And so those are the clear removable plastic trays that are used to straighten out misaligned teeth. There are somewhere around 14 million malocclusion cases started every year. So malocclusion, by the way, when I say that, that just means misaligned teeth. Um, And 80% of those 14 million cases are still corrected with traditional wires and brackets, which implies that a line with its 1.9 million case starts per year has something like 70% market share of everything else. So we've all heard of Invisalign. I think we're all pretty familiar with clear aligners by now. But back in 1997, when Invisalign was founded, these clear aligners were basically seen as a gimmick. They weren't really seen as um, as a real orthodontic appliance, and um, you know orthodontists were trained in wires and brackets. They took a lot of pride in doing these cases by hand, and they were generally very skeptical of the idea that you could fix crooked teeth with plastic trays. And so, yeah, these wires and brackets they were sold by companies like Dentsply and 3M Ormco, and um, this was a B two B sale, so patients didn't know or care about the brand of their braces and. What Align basically did was they created a consumer brand around clear aligner technology. So they had the whole market to themselves for, um, for, for a while because the incumbents were realizing steady cash flows from selling these conventional braces. And they weren't going to cannibalize that business by making a big speculative bet on a product that nobody believed in. So uh, Align technology with their clear aligner treatment was really like the first counter positioning, was really like counter positioning against these, these incumbents. The two relevant constituents here are the consumers and the doctors. So Align sells the clear aligner treatment to the orthodontists, who then mark it up and then sell it to the consumers. And the value proposition for the consumers um, is, is pretty straightforward. It has to do with comfort and aesthetics. So instead of having these visible metal wires, they're wearing a clear piece of plastic that can be hard for other people to notice. It's more comfortable because you don't have the wires and brackets rubbing up against soft tissue it's more convenient because they don't have to make as many trips to the orthodontist for, for these mid-treatment checkups. And then um, as far as orthodontists go, the, the questions really come down to, you know, does this work? Is it economic for me? And do patients want this? So as I said, orthodontists were skeptical of this product at first, but they started feeling the pressure from two sides. Align was doing a ton of brand marketing. So consumers started asking for Invisalign by name and clear aligner technology got better and better over time and doctors felt more comfortable prescribing it. The economics were also better so what orthodontists realized was that even though they were paying more for Invisalign than wires and brackets four or five times as much in some cases the Invisalign treatments required less chair time because with traditional braces the orthodontist has to tighten the wires whereas with Invisalign most of the treatment planning is done with software. So I'll talk a little bit about the treatment flow. So what happens is the patient gets their teeth scanned at the orthodontist office. That scan is electronically submitted to an Align lab. And at the lab, a technician creates a treatment plan in ClinCheck. Um, and, and ClinCheck is just Align's proprietary uh, CAD software. Um, so it goes into ClinCheck. And then the treatment plan is reviewed by the orthodontist for like 10 minutes. And the orthodontist and technician will sometimes go back and forth to get to get the treatment plan right. But this process still saves time relative to tweaking the wires and brackets. So what that means is that um, the orthodontist can treat more patients and on a per chair hour basis Invisalign is actually cheaper once the doctor gets past a certain volume threshold. So to be more concrete about the savings here with wires and brackets an orthodontist might charge the patient let's say six thousand dollars for a malocclusion case and the doctor will pay like three hundred or four hundred bucks for the wires and brackets. So the doctor makes like 5600 bucks or 5700 bucks per case. With Invisalign, the doctor charges the patient the same $6,000 and the doctor will pay anywhere between $900 and say $1,500 depending on their volumes. So let's just use $1,500. The, the profits on a $6,000 case are 4500 bucks. So for, for a single case, obviously conventional braces are a lot more po- uh, profitable for a doctor. You're talking 5,700 profits versus 4,500, but the key is that the total chair time is way lower for Align because Invisalign because there are fewer mid treatment appointments, um, fewer emergency visits, and and there have been some studies on this. What one of them I read was from 2013. I think it was from uh, an industry trade journal, and I can't attest to the accuracy of the study. But the claim was that the chair time is basically cut in half when you use Invisalign. So, so um so yeah. Now with um with Invisalign, you still have to include the time it takes to review the case in, in Clincheck. And so maybe that's another ten or fifteen minutes. And uh and so maybe you're not doing twice as many cases, but you're doing Let's say 1.7 times to make and it. And also remember, so this study was like done like eight years ago. Traditional and Invisalign case has takes gotten about better and faster since time. then. So whereas the same is not true of traditional braces. So, like you can frame this as clear aligners versus traditional braces, but at a higher level of abstraction, this is also like digital versus analog workflows. Because really, what you're trying to do is straighten out these teeth as quickly as possible, and a digital process can get faster and better the way an analog process cannot. With Align, there's, there's been more like automation baked into ClinCheck, and that saves time. They rolled out a teledentistry platform last year. That saves your time. Um, they have a scanner, iTero, that's gotten better. Whereas I imagine it takes probably the same amount of time to do wires and brackets as, as it did you know a decade ago. And then also, orthodontists have an added incentive to move more of their caseload to Invisalign in order to obtain elite status. Um, and, and So once they get there, the orthodontist only pays 900 bucks per case, and the profit scenario I walked through earlier is obviously even more compelling. So um, <clears throat> Invisalign is the dominant player in clear aligners, and as I see it, the advantage it has basically comes down to vertical integration, patents, and then having a huge start on the competition. Align was well funded from the start and they used the capital that they got to invest in marketing direct sales and manufacturing from very early on so you might be surprised to learn that Align is the largest 3d printing company in the world so they use 3d printers to um, to make the clear liner molds and using these molds they can mass-customize hundreds of thousands of clear liner trays every day there's a lot of like small things that go into this. They've trained their own machine vision system to read the unique identifiers on the aligners to make sure like the right aligner goes in the right package. Um, they've got these lasers that can trim the aligners in this very precise way so that they aren't uh, discolored. And, um, and yeah, like, so over the course of 20 years, they've just added new technology to their manufacturing process, and they've gotten better at making these aligners faster. Uh, with much less material and using less labor than than their peers. And then um, other parts of the process, so they have technicians creating the treatment plans in a remote lab using ClinCheck, which I mentioned earlier. They, um, they own the CAD software and there's more automation being baked in over time and they even have their own scanners. So it used to be that to get a mold, a doctor would apply this cold PVS goop against your teeth and then they had to FedEx those to the lab, and those PVS impressions have been largely replaced by digital scanners, uh, w- which allow doctors to, to get the images to the lab faster and, and also dramatically improves the, the accuracy. And, and they're also like a, like a sales tool. So with, with a scan, you can show the patient while they're sitting there in the chair how their teeth are going to move over time, and that um, apparently improves conversion. So yeah, and getting into this, Align getting into scanners was, was a, was a prescient move. They got there by acquiring Cadent in 2011, and this was a pretty unpopular deal at the time. So Cadent was unprofitable, and even if they got to large scale, the margins would be a lot lower than clear aligners because scanners are um, they're, they're kind of a commodity. But what Align got early on was that scanners were going to be a p- key part of doing these cases more efficiently, and that would drive more case volumes in, in the aligner business. Okay, so um, so they got the software, the manufacturing, uh, the scanners, all that stuff integrated. They created scale economies in manufacturing, more accuracy and speed in the treatment planning, and yeah, look, it, it's like it's sort of like a classic Clay Christensen right here. Like the basis, they they shifted the basis of competition orthodontia from effectiveness to uh, comfort and aesthetics, and then. Um, vertically integrated key parts of this process flow in order to make a big dent in, in the uh, doctor and the consumer experience. So, so yeah. Okay. So that's uh, the vertically, vertical integration piece. And then the second thing is they had just a huge head start relative to peers. So I think the first serious direct competition was ClearCorrect and ClearCorrect came on the scene like seven or eight years after Align. Um, they were largely a bootstrap company. Um, they weren't nearly as, as well-funded. And they didn't start integrating manufacturing till about 2008, so they were they were close to a decade behind. And then along the way, Align built up a huge patent portfolio, and uh, those patents related to like treatment planning, the source code that was used to create um, the 3D image of of patients' teeth, the manufacturing technology, and then they yeah they they aggressively defended these patents. So um, there's this competitor OrthoClear that came up in 2005 it was founded by one of Align's uh, co-founders and they allegedly stole Align's IP and, and trademarks and in doing so they were able to grab like 20% share of the of the clear aligner market in the U.S. like very quickly but then Align basically sued them out of existence and they were like forced to shut down like two years within two years of launch so Align's got a lot of things going for it but in the past it's actually been subject to a lot of negativity by investors, at least in the circles I roll in, and and my sense is that a lot of this like kind of ties back to the intuition that, well, like this is just a piece of plastic that moves teeth. Anyone can make that, and no one should be earning like 25% EBITDA margins on this. And when some of their key patents expire, they're going to be swarmed by competitors who will underprice them. So, so yes, like um, key patents related to digital treatment planning and CAD technology have expired over the years, that's true, and, and it's important. So, like, there's this company called ULab that launched uh, competing CAD software in 2018 after some of Alliance patents rolled off a, a year earlier, and um, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. But but there was always more to this story, I felt. Like, they spent years building the brand and getting uh, consumer adoption. Um, they got widespread buying from doctors who habituated themselves to the ClinCheck system. Uh, the case volumes brought scale economies in manufacturing, which allowed for reinvestment in marketing and product development, more experience treating harder cases, which in turn drew in more adoption by orthodontists. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, like at least what I've heard from orthodontists is that Align, it just saves them time and they just know it's going to work for most of the cases that they come across. So, like, why, why risk moving to another system when this one seems to strike the right balance between efficacy and, and price? So I, I think there's just something to be said about the power of incumbency, especially in this industry, because orthodontists are uh, tend to be resistant to to change. And by the way, like Align learned this the hard way themselves. I think like in the early days, they invested way ahead of demand. Um, their their product made sense back then, but but orthodontists were were making a good living on wires and brackets, and uh, this is what they were taught in school, and and they didn't really see an urgent need to change. So. It took like a lot of education and product improvements and consumer demand to, to, finally, uh, to finally get traction. And then like the other thing is like Align's always been a pretty innovative company. They were the first ones to get into 3D printing. Um, they built out some of their technology. So uh, like management likes to tell the story about how in their manufacturing, they, they tried some off the shelf optical character recognition systems to read the identifiers on the aligners. And when that didn't work, they you know they built their own buying Cadent in 2011. I talked about that earlier. I think that was a non-obvious forward-looking move. So uh, so yeah, I mean I just think they've made a habit out of like really understanding the workflow for um, for malocclusion cases and and then just like ironing out as many friction points as they can. And then finally, there there are a few other possible like growth pockets to the story. First, they're they're on fire in China. So they basically share that market with a local player called. Uh, angel align and you know if you look back four years ago china wasn't even in the top five countries for a line and now it's like their second largest market so they put in a lot of like resources there educating and training doctors they're opening permanent manufacturing capacity there and introducing scanners so there really isn't any other major u.s player that that has made um, as much progress and then Align is also making a big push in going after dentists. So, Align mostly sells through orthodontists, but there are like ten times more dentists out there in the U.S. So, yeah, it's like there, there's this met, there's this um, metric called utilization that m- management discloses, and it, it basically refers to like the number of cases shipped per doctor. And for orthodontists, that number is 67 per year. It's more than doubled over the last five or six years. But for dentists, it's only like 10, and that's only up from like seven. So so this could be an opportunity for them, though uh, utilization for dentists will always be much lower than orthodontists, obviously. And I also think it's it's probably a more competitive channel um, to get after, but, but we'll see. Um, so that's all good stuff, but um but here's some things that that worry me about align. Um so first of all, something like 70 or 75% of Malocclusion TAM is like teenagers and these tend to be more complex cases because their teeth are still maturing and you have to like factor in jaw movement and you know Invisalign can actually handle those complex cases now, but there's also a compliance issue. The the ability to remove aligners. It's obviously um, a problem for parents who don't want their teenagers taking these things off and not wearing them as often as they should and losing them. Um, so yeah, I mean like you have to wear these things like 20 hours a day and then brush your teeth after meals. And it's, that it's just a tall ask for, for some teenagers. So yeah, for, for the vast majority of comprehensive teen cases, as a parent, you, you might just prefer to like lock your kids in the metal braces. Um, so, so yeah, like teens make up less than 20% of, of Align's business. So the company is um, way under indexed here. And um, you could look at that as an opportunity because um, like parents tend to want the best for their kids. And if parents want to get clear aligners for the kids, they're going to pony up the five or six thousand dollars for Invisalign. They're probably not going to, you know, get like Smile Direct Club for their 14 year old would be my guess. But yeah, but there's also just there There may just also be a huge chunk of teenagers who aren't addressable just for compliance reasons, in which case you might be banking what you're what you what you might be banking on with clear liners is TAM expansion, where adults who may never have considered braces come come into the market. Um, so then there's uh competition. So there are several incumbent competitors out there with me too products. Uh, the wire and brackets guys have gotten into this. There's distributors have gone into this. Um, 3M, Dentsply, Danaher, Henry Schein. Um, I've heard good things about Invista. Invista was sp- spun off of um, Danaher. Um, let's see, ClearCorrect was acquired by Strawman, Strawman. <laughs> um, which maybe gives them an edge in the general practitioner channel. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about dentists here when I say general practitioners. For the most part, nobody has really gotten that much traction. I think the reason why they've had a hard time breaking Align's dominance is that they've essentially competed on the, on the same terms where they're selling these aligners that are sort of similar to Align, maybe not as good for, for like 30% cheaper. And that didn't work for the reasons I talked about. And if it was just those guys, I wouldn't worry too much about Align's competitive positioning. But where I do think Align faces some serious challenges now is on uh, two fronts. So the first is do-it-yourself treatment planning, and, um, and the second is direct-to-consumer. So we'll start with do-it-yourself. Um, and this would be doctors 3D printing aligners in their office. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so orthodontists at this point are very familiar with clear aligners. They've been trained on them, and they know how to use them. Um, plus, the technology has really advanced over the last decade. Specifically, um, you know, the the accessibility of computing, machine learning, uh, the cost of 3D printers. So, like, it used to be that technicians would have to, like, manually carve out each tooth in the software. And that took, like, eight man hours to segment each case. Um, and, uh, you know, like, that was, you know, late 90s, 2000s. And then fast forward today, and you can use machine learning and software to do it. Um, there have also been big advancements in manufacturing. So... Um, 15 years ago, you would have these like huge, expensive milling machines that would make the aligner molds, and they could basically make one model per hour. And you compare that to today, you can have like a $4,000 3D printer um, print a model in like five or six minutes. And these printers will get better and better, and the regulations around this um, will, will change for the better, I think. So I believe like right now 3d printers are technically able to print the aligners directly it's just not fda approved Um, the way it works now is you're printing out the molds and then wrapping the thermoplastic around the mold but from what i understand the fda has approved direct print of retainers and they're going to soon allow for the direct print of, of aligner trays i think which which should save the doctor and the patient uh some time so um so there's this Company called ULab that takes advantage of this technology. Um, ULab was founded by the former CTO of Align in 2015, and it makes the CAD software that orthodontists use to design the clear aligners, and that software integrates with uh, third-party three D printers. So, their their model is that they give away the software free, and then they charge the orthodontist per aligner. So. Um, you, you have, as the orthodontist customer, you have like one of two options here. You can have ULab make the aligners in their manufacturing facility in Memphis, and that will cost $19 per aligner. Or you can send the STL file to your in-house 3D printer, in which case you're paying 250 per export. Um, or you can do a combination of both, actually. So like Maybe you do like the first few stages in-house so the, you know, the, the patient gets their aligners right away and then have ULAB manufacture uh, the rest. Uh, and, and the kicker here is that the maximum you ever pay per case is $950. So it's uh, in most cases, it's, it's a cheaper option than a line. And this seems to be getting traction. They, um, they launched the software in 2018 and they passed 250,000 cases recently. My best guess is maybe they do um, I don't know you know 150 thousand two hundred thousand cases over the next year, and um, you know to put that in perspective, Align did around 1.6 million over the last 12 months. so ULab is still small compared to that, but uh, but it, yeah, it's interesting. Um, the downside to ULab is that um, it's still slower for comprehensive cases, and the reason for that is um, is with Invisalign the doctor is basically outsourcing the treatment planning to an aligned technician. Whereas with ULab, the orthodontist or, or more likely the the assistants are, are doing the treatment planning work themselves. But I don't know, like ULab software, I'm sure will get better at handling these more compre- comprehensive cases over time. So so manufacturing, uh, yeah, I don't know. Manufacturing these aligners on, on your three, own 3D printers, it's still kind of a, a fringe practice, but... Um, But I can definitely see it catching on as the software gets better and the 3D printers get cheaper and and faster. And then the other downside, I guess, to to ULAB is that orthodontists don't get the Invisalign brand. Um, And, uh, yeah, like my my take on this is that I think brand mattered a lot when clear aligners were a nascent technology. But everyone knows about these things now. And I've heard orthodontists say that patients will often just go with whatever treatment they recommend. Um, even if they ask for Invisalign a- at the start. So like, yeah, like, like sometimes a patient will ask for, for Invisalign because they just don't know what else to call it. It's, it's, it's like kind of the same way you might ask for Kleenex when what you really want is tissue paper and you, like you don't really care about um, the brand per se. So let's see, like, oh, here's another thing. So like another pushback that um, that you might give to ULAB is that Align has all this case volume data that ULAB doesn't have. and um, And this data advantage is something that Align's management brings up a lot so they've done something like nine million cases over their life and the the idea is that um they can use data from these cases to accurately predict how teeth are going to move in a way that takes into account like all the different biomechanical knock-on effects but yeah i don't know this this claim has always seemed like somewhat overstated because it's not like a line is getting a complete scan of the patient's dentition at every stage of the treatment process like the doctor isn't taking another scan at month three and then month six and month nine and then sending those to Align, right? So like all Align really sees is that initial scan. So they don't really have any insight into how each case is progressing o- over time. Now the initial scan is important for segmentation. Um, so segmentation is this step where you're identifying each tooth in the software. So um you know the software's told like here's the canine here's the first molar here's the central incisor but it's not like so much that you need like tons and tons of data so i was talking to like a former align employee who works uh, in r&d about this and even in that initial segmentation process there's there's likely a plateau to how much data how much that data helps like having nine million cases probably doesn't help you that much more relative to having like only three million cases or, or maybe even one million cases. Now, having said that, where, where I think case volumes could be helpful beyond segmentation is is that like while you're not getting that longitudinal data for each patient, you might still get a sense for how teeth develop, um, like the speed in which they move in, in teenagers or um, you know how big each tooth eventually gets just by looking at patients across um, different age groups. And Plus there are um, you know some cases that may not go according to plan, and the doctor has to like take a second scan and send that scan over to a line. And so, so with more case volumes, you might see like you know, more of those edge cases. But yeah, like um, I don't know, it, it's not like there's this awesome data network effect, flywheel, whatever in place here. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to calibrate this claim about, about the uh, importance of, of data. Um, so anyway, uh, the second major competitive threat, Um, I think is direct-to-consumer and that brings us to Smile Direct Club so um, Smile Direct as well as a growing number of direct-to-consumer aligner companies are bypassing the traditional Orthodontist channel by selling directly to consumers, obviously. Um, so under the SmileDirect model, there, there's basically two ways to uh, that you can get treated. The first way is that they'll mail you um, the PVS goop that you put over your teeth, um, and then you send that back to an SDC lab, and SDC converts that mold into a 3D image. The second way is that you show up at one of SmileDirect stores. So, so Smile Direct, they run their own like freestanding stores as well as stores inside of like Walgreens and, and CVS. So you show up to the store, get your teeth scanned there. Um, and yeah, so b- before COVID, the, the vast majority of their business, like 80 or 90% was was coming through these stores. But whichever path you take, um, a dentist or an orthodontist that is part of... Hold on, let me take a drink of water here. Um Whatever path you take, a dentist or an orthodontist that is part of a SmileDirect's network is going to review the scan in SmileCheck. And SmileCheck is just um, SmileDirect's software platform. Uh, so they're going to review it and then create a treatment plan. And then the consumer accepts the plan and uploads photos of their teeth every few months for the doctor to review. So yeah, like the company, it's, it's sort of like, like a teledentistry platform, um, like bolted onto a DDC business model. You might think of it that way. Um, but the main idea is that orthodontists are no longer the gatekeeper. So with Align, Align owns the brand that consumers ask for, but the orthodontists still keep the customer relationship. Whereas in this DTC model, Smile Direct owns the customer relationship, while orthodontists are kind of shoved to the back, um, right, where, where they're just kind of reviewing the cases. So, um, so yeah, like this is kind of like the next state ne- the next phase of like counterpositioning. So like in part one, Align. Counterpositioned against the traditional wire and bracket incumbents by um, creating a consumer brand around this new aligner technology, and then now here's like Smile Direct and all these other guys counterpositioning against Align by selling direct to consumers, and um, and yeah, and so this is something that Align I think will find very hard to copy because of channel conflicts. So um, Align has uh, they they've struggled with channel conflicts in the past um, when When they first launched, Align just targeted orthodontists, but then they were sued by dentists who thought it was unfair that only orthodontists got the product, and uh, they thought they should be able to have it too. So, Align then figured, well, if they're going to sell the GPS anyway, they may as well like proactively do so, and that pissed off the orthodontists. And, um, you know, just speculating here, but it could be that that was like one of the reasons why OrthoClear stole so much share from. from Align back in the day. Align's um, second misadventure with channel conflicts came a few years ago. Um, They bought a 19% equity stake in SmileDirect and then agreed to supply SmileDirect with Aligners. And then soon after they did that, Align opened these freestanding showrooms where they could provide um, consultations to consumers. And what they told orthodontists was that um, this would be good for them because Align would, you know, funnel traffic their way. Um, nobody bought this. <laughs> Everyone like saw through the ruse. I think this was like clearly attempt to go like DTC. Um, doctors were furious. A smile Direct sued them, and then Align was basically forced to retreat. So, um, so anyway, like the direct to consumer model proved like very popular w- with clear aligners. and and heading into COVID. Um, SmileDirect was growing like a weed. Like They did close to $700 million in aligner revenue in 2019. And they were really only around for five years up to that point. Um, so to put that in perspective, it took Align 16 years to approach that level. So Align like basically created this clear aligner category and then you know SmileDirect found a way to piggyback on that with a different distribution model and a much lower price point. Um, an Align case will run a consumer somewhere between four to six, four to eight thousand dollars, whereas um, a SmileDirect case will go for eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred bucks, or twenty three hundred bucks if you use financing. So, it's it's a massive, massive uh, cost savings. So, um, let's see. So, let me look here. Uh, yeah. So, I talked about all the things that Align vertically integrates: um, the CAD software, the scanners, the manufacturing. Well, SmileDirect also does manufacturing and it has its own proprietary software but it takes things to the next level in that um, it leases the stores it handles the uh, customer service and it provides installment loans to to uh, customers to pay to pay for the product Um, so yeah like basically the cost that an orthodontist would typically bear to run a practice smile direct is putting on its own income statement right so they're like doubling down on vertical integration in the hopes that by doing so, they can offer a better customer experience and then get the volumes to realize scale economies. So, like, yeah, you can you can counter, you can start with counter positioning, but eventually you've got to work your way up to scale economies. And, um, yeah, like I'm not saying anything new here, but but yeah, I just, you know, these DTC businesses they're they're like easy to start, but but hard to scale. And so right now, like this vertically integrated approach means that SmileDirect is burning, um, lots of cash. So in 2019, before COVID, they generated negative 440 million of free cash flow on revenue of 750 million. So, um and it just seems like this process of getting the scale is like getting harder over time. Like a decade ago when uh when Dollar Shave Club and Warby Parker were coming up, maybe you could just throw money at Facebook and Instagram to acquire customers at attractive ROIs. But then like that gradually got competed away and and these DTC brands had to find other ways to boost conversion by um by pulling levers in other parts of the funnel, and in many cases that that meant going as far as like opening your own stores. So, so now we've like moved into this next stage of DTC where uh, the conventional wisdom has become like rent is the new CAC, right? Where where you complement your online presence with stores, um, and so like that, that's part of the playbook now. And um, and I feel like small direct has had to emphasize brick and mortar because. Um, Uh, especially because it it faces some unique challenges with with clear aligners because in the online delivery model, they have to like ship you the PVS stuff. um, And it's up up to like the consumers to take that, to take their own impressions. and, And this just isn't like a great experience. And in fact, like one of the key reasons why they opened stores in the first place was so that customers could get like the digital scans instead. So, yeah, like, like you think about all the steps here, like you need to ship the PVS to the consumer's house. The consumer has to feel confident enough to like take their own impression. And that's something that's usually done by like a dental assistant. And then they have to mail that back. And then an orthodontist has to see if you're a candidate. And then Smile Direct has to come up with a treatment plan. So, I mean, like there's there's a lot of friction there and um, a lot of places where like a potential customer can fall through the cracks. So, um, so yeah, like they they open the stores in part, I think, to uh, to keep prospects in, in the funnel. But I think maybe Smile Direct went too far with this. So they had around uh, 400 units and those stores were like 25% utilized heading into the pandemic. And so like they've had to dramatically pare back their footprint. Um, I think they originally thought that stores would serve as a customer acquisition vehicle, but what they discovered pretty soon was that, um, was for, for the most part, the stores were just being used as, as fulfillment. Um, fortunately for them, like 40% of their stores were through CVS and Walgreens where they're basically on a revenue share agreement and they're not paying the fixed cost of rent. And then um, also most of their leases were, were on month to month. So they're, they've let those leases roll off. And I think the plan is to just like, you know, basically walk away, <laughs> walk away from the stores. Um, and now, you know, they're, they're thinking that patients would be willing to drive a little bit further to, uh, to get to a small shop. Um, you know, we'll see. Um, the other thing they're doing is uh, partnering with dentists. So this is a partnership model where the dentists take the scan and then share the revenue. Um, they have like a thousand dental practices that are now participating in this network. So it seems like they're they're emphasizing the um, you know traditional chan- channels for uh, customer acquisition. And so in some ways it's like it, it kind of validates this idea that like online direct to consumer is really just like a starting point. It's not the end all. Um, certainly not a moat. It's just kind of like a way to to find customers and get initial traction. So so yeah, I mean I think these are the right moves because like realistically, I'm not sure that having consumers like take their own impressions is is a model that that works long term. Like during COVID, SmileDirect direct shut down their stores and really what we saw then was that like the online channel just couldn't pick up the slack so like if you look at aligner shipments in the last nine months of 2020 for SmileDirect, direct those were down like 27 percent, whereas for align the case shipments were actually up nine percent so so like yeah i mean short of sending everyone like digital scanners i'm not really sure like um yeah how, how you how you solve for that problem Yeah, so SmileDirect also, uh, of course, has the added challenge of uh, regulatory capture. So you have dental and orthodontic trade associations arguing against teledentistry for orthodontics, saying that um, SmileDirect is uh, shirking the standard of care by not having doctors perform patient exams. And um, the dental boards in Alabama and Georgia have passed rules that said that um, a doctor needs to be on premises when a 3D scan is being taken. But I don't know. This this like increasingly feels like a moot point because um, SmileDirect is partnering with um, dental service organizations, and then uh, they're covered in network by more and more insurance carriers. So it, it feels like they're being um, validated by you know important parts of the of the value chain. And you know, like more generally, I just think like fighting against teledentistry or or like tele anything is is just like a losing battle because like COVID has normalized it. And, um, and I think that sentiment and regulations around telehealth are definitely changing for the, for the better. So, um, yeah, this feels sort of like one of those Uber versus cab drivers or Airbnb versus hotels cases where, like, if the product is so much more convenient and affordable and consumers are really asking for it, like, the ecosystem will adapt and then... Um, Yeah. Like the, the regulations will, will eventually accommodate. That's, that's kind of my opinion, but, uh, but yeah, but that's not to say that like smile direct isn't playing with fire a little bit here. Um, so like, I think smile direct is fine for simple cases, but like you probably, you probably don't want to be step, stepping too far outside your technical capabilities because, uh, like moving molars can change the bite and uh, like that can have like long lasting impacts. Um, and I don't know. It, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if SmileDirect were, were um, you know, biting more than more than they can chew here. But that needs to be offset by like all the good they're doing um, by making orthodontia affordable to so many people. So, I mean, the way things are today, like when you have a complicated case, or whether you have a complicated case or an easy case, it really doesn't make that much of a difference in terms of like what an orthodontist will charge. It'll still be like like four to six thousand bucks. So. Like, here's SmileDirect coming in at less than $2,000. All things considered, like, I think it's probably a net positive for for consumers, even when you take into account the possibility that they may be doing cases outside their um, technical capabilities. Um, yeah, but, like, I'm not really sure what would lead me to say that, like, SmileDirect is, like, the one to bet on versus, like, all the other DDC aligner companies, maybe other than the fact that it has a lead on its competitors when it comes to vertically integrating the manufacturing. I alluded to this earlier, but there's really like nothing special about the online channel per se from a competitive advantage standpoint. Um, and asking like how an online DTC company succeeds, it's really not that much different from asking how like any retailer or any brand succeeds. Like the, the answer is not going to be found in like a generic channel strategy. Um, so like Casper mattress, mattresses, um, like they say it's it's like their data science and marketing skills and they like to pitch this narrative of like not being a mattress company but rather like a sleep experience company um meaning like you know we, we don't just sell mattresses but also like pillows and pajamas and then um smile direct seems like you know pretty good at this stuff too it's like we're, we're about better smiles meaning like we don't just sell clear liners but like tooth whitening and, and power flossers and um and so yeah like there's something cons- uh there's something that, to say about like consistent messaging and branding, but um, but also like realistically, like these companies have to define their value prop more broadly to make like their economics work, right? So um, I think at one point Casper claimed that historically they were able to bring in $3 of revenue for every dollar of, uh, of marketing spend, but you know, their gross margins are like 50%. So like, you know, a buck 50 on a dollar marketing, um, you know, that's not great, especially when you consider like customer support and other costs. So, um, so yeah, like they they probably need to attach more and more products in order for the unit economics to make sense, and and um, yeah, maybe maybe the same is true of SmileDirect. Although SmileDirect has like much better uh, gross margins, so um, so I don't know. What I will say though is that it's like it's a lot easier to imagine how scale economies develop than it is to like call the specific winners in in advance. Um, like Align was also burning tons of cash as they tried to gain adoption. And it took them like nearly 10 years after they launched um, to start consistently generating profits. Um, and then obviously they, they spooled up the, the scale economies over time. And um, uh, the bull case here is that uh Smile direct could pull off a similar result um, because look, first they have pretty good brand awareness now. And second, it's a really compelling value proposition for for consumers. Like the the treatments are so much cheaper than Invisalign, and here's the other thing: like consumers don't actually know the difference between a good enough smile and a perfect smile, and they may not actually care in most cases. So, um, you know, like SmileDirect may not meet an orthodontist's exacting needs for for these comprehensive cases, but it might be good enough for the vast majority, and. And in fact, like SmileDirect says up front, like the goal is not to produce like a perfect smile, but just to make your smile better. So yeah, like you can imagine a scenario where um, you know, the, the low price point attracts volumes, they scale the manufacturing, they bring down their unit costs, which allow them to reinvest more aggressively than peers in customer exhibition, which um, brings in more consumers, which brings in more doctors to their network, reviewing the cases, which means faster turnaround times, which in turn creates a better experience and draws more customers, more opportunities to cross-sell toothpaste and night guards, So there are like these reflexive properties to scale. Um, But, uh, but yeah, but the second ingredient to this and, and I don't know, this isn't specific to smile direct necessarily. And it's, you know, maybe a little bit more speculative, but I think there's like this feedback between like capital and success where where like to pull this off, you need a vertically integrated model, which means like you need to raise more capital to absorb your burn until you get to scale. And that money will flow to like whoever capital providers think should win and will win in the category. There's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy in a way where like the people with the money are not just like finding the winners, but also anointing them. And they do so based on like who's already winning because success breeds success given the scale economies. So yeah, and it feels like right now, uh, like that player in DTC is like, like SmileDirect. So they have uh, like a pretty dominant share in, uh, in that channel, I think, and and for now, I think they're the only ones vertically integrating the manufacturing, um, but I'm sure you know others will will follow suit. And yeah, like the the markets have just been like super accommodating. So like, SmileDirect's cash burn really just hasn't mattered from like a survival perspective. They secured like a $500 million credit facility. Then they did like a 650 convert, and that 650 was upsized from 350 million. And this was like you know zero coupon, 40% out of the money. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of incredible, like the terms on which some of these companies are um, are uh, raising raising capital. But yeah, so switching back to Align, as far as I can tell, most of the competitive impact, whether that be from um, do-it-yourself three D printers or from direct to consumer, has been uh, limited to the low end of the market. And whether competition is having like an impact on Align's numbers today. It's it's like sort of ambiguous. Um, like their ASPs have been trending down for years. Um, that could be pricing, but it could also be like a mix issue because the less complex cases have also been growing, um, or it could be like doctors getting volumes for, uh, volume discounts for ordering more cases. There's also like an accounting dynamic to take into account because like part of the revenue is deferred if you use like extra aligners, and that can lead to a case where. You're like selling these lower-priced cases, but um, but those could show up as higher ASP just because you're recognizing revenue faster. Um, so, so I don't know. Like, um, yeah, you, you, same thing with like gross margins. So like, gross margins for their liner segment have been trending down for for years. But even here, like like that could be pricing and competition, but it could also be like manufacturing costs being front-loaded or volume discounts. Yeah, I I don't think that management has really explained what's going on um, there very well. But um, But I don't know, so if if orthodontists are like forced to take their prices down to match Smile Direct, the scenarios I think play out here are, you know, either one, the orthodontist eats the lower prices even as they continue paying Align what they did before. Two, Align takes the margin hit. So Align charges lower prices to the doctor so that the doctor can uh, maintain their unit profits. Or um, or three, Align has to find other ways to save the doctor money by helping them to do um, these cases more more efficiently. And I think like probably all three of these factors are are at play to varying degrees. But yeah, so like on that third point, like what you've seen over the last year is Align is trying to, you know, like help doctors um, save time. So they've rolled out like a teledentistry platform where like patients can make virtual appointments. Um, they're be- embedding more AI into This platform for like virtual case follow-ups, and um, they're rolling out this business consulting service to help GPS and orthodontists um, digitize and streamline their workflows. Um, And they've had to accelerate this because of COVID. But uh, but I think like more generally, they're they're launching these um, time-saving tools so that doctors can handle more cases and then preserve profitability that way. But yeah, uh, here's what I'll say: like I think. Align is in in this position where they can like maybe handle more cases than anyone else today, but like yeah, like there may be a disruptive process going on where like these competitors get better and better until like they're functionally good enough. And while Align might be the low cost producer of um, of these aligners, that's not to say that their margins can't be competed uh, competed down from like you know twenty five percent to fifteen uh, percent or, or wherever. And yeah, I just see like the competitive environment is getting more intense, not less intense. And th- this competition is coming from places that Align isn't really set up to compete um, effectively against for like all the reasons I talked about. And that's not to say that Align doesn't have a, a lot of great things going for them. But, uh, but yeah, you just have to be like pretty confident in the growth opportunity and the moat when paying um, 80 times pre-COVID EBITDA for a $40 billion company. Um, so, all right. That, that's all. That's all I got to say about this. Um, thanks everyone for, for listening and uh, for all your support and encouragement. Um, it definitely means a lot and, um, and I greatly appreciate it. Okay. Have a great week.